My name is Shang. I'm going to do the Bible reading. Our reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 to 7. Now faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So it's, it's going to be Hebrews chapter 11, and it'll be verses 1 to 7, if you have a Bible or a device. Or... Well, it's been a strange couple of years, really, hasn't it? Um, I think certainly since I was last at, uh, at Surrey Hills, at your camp, the world has changed uh, dramatically. And uh, it's been encouraging in some ways to see how uh, many people have testified to their faith during this, uh, this pandemic. Uh, from the Prime Minister down, many have said that it's their faith uh, that's kept them going and that's helped them. But what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to be a person of faith? Um, for many, it's equivalent to be a spiritual person, isn't it? People like to, it's kind of virtue signaling, they like to claim that they are spiritual. Uh, lots of people identify in that way as people of faith. But what does that mean? Everybody believes in something, don't they? I mean, I believe for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. And if you believe that, I'm happy for you. <laughs> Everybody believes in something. So what does it mean to believe in God? Is it simply believing what you know ain't so, as Mark Twain said? Is that what faith is? You know, holding your breath, shutting your eyes, and believing what you know isn't true. Is that faith? Well, that, that's, not, that's not belief. That's make-believe, isn't it? So what does it mean to have faith? This is the great chapter on, on faith, of course, Hebrews chapter 11. And here in this chapter, we have a definition of faith and a demonstration of faith. And it all starts, you notice, at creation. And it follows chronologically through God's redemptive program to Christ. So it goes from creation to Christ. And as it nears its climax, this chapter, it, it picks up speed and momentum. 
until finally you're brought face to face with the greatest man of faith that the world has ever seen, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So in this first talk, we're just going to look at the first seven verses. And um, what we see here is, very briefly, you will look at the definition. It's not a comprehensive definition. It's a working definition of faith. And then we'll see how faith is demonstrated. So let's have a look, first of all, at the definition that we've got here in verse 1. See what it says. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's a kind of sixth sense if I can put it that way. How can I be sure of the reality of this physical world? Well, I've got my five senses. I can see, I can hear, I can touch, I can taste, I can smell. But there's more to reality than what I can discover with my five senses, isn't there? There are things that are invisible, things that are not seen, things that cannot be measured in a laboratory. And, and these are the things that ultimately make life meaningful and purposeful. God is invisible. The, the Bible tells us that no one has ever seen God except the one who is at his, his side, his only begotten son. He's made him known. And, and when faith lays hold of Jesus, then we get to see the invisible God. Faith does that. But there's another element here, isn't there, to this? Some things are unseen, not just because they're invisible. I mean, the spiritual realm is invisible to us, but we see these things through faith. But some things are unseen, not because they're invisible, but because they haven't happened yet. Uh, we know they're going to happen. How do we know they're going to happen? Because God has promised, God has said that these things are going to happen. God has spoken, and we take him at his word. We believe the promise. And that's the sort of faith that is on display here in, in Hebrews chapter 11. It's like the, you know, the Tazi travel vouchers. I don't want to kind of boast, but we've, we've got the second round. Of, we've got another round of travel vouchers. We might be going away for three days this week <laughs> to the East Coast to get away from our grandchildren. <laughs> and, um, you know, the government has made us a promise. You know, that if we help the, the, uh, the tourist industry in Tasmania by paying for some accommodation there on the East Coast, they'll actually reimburse us. Now, I don't know if you trust the Tasmanian government, but last time they, they, they kept their promise. And so we're, we're going up to the East Coast there tomorrow, actually, by faith, trusting that the government will, uh, the Tasmanian government will actually reimburse us. Because they promised that they would. And, and uh, that's the kind of faith that it, it's an active trust in a certain promise about an unseen future. It's an active trust. It shapes our decisions. And, and it changes the way we live because we believe a promise that is going to come true in the future. And we believe that, we believe that God is, he, he, he keeps his promises. And so this is what we're going to see in this chapter. Faith makes me certain of what God has promised and sure of what I cannot see. And it's, it says there in verse 2, this is what the ancients... We're a, no, no one say it. <laughs> this is what the ancients, who are the ancients? Well, here we are. <laughs> Look at me. This is what the ancients were commended for, it says in verse 2. They, they demonstrated this kind of faith. So let's look at the, the demonstration of this faith here in these first seven verses. Who are these ancients 
uh, are they senior citizens? Are they pensioners? Are they the over 50s? Who are the, the ancients? Well, they're the people who lived a long time ago. Uh, they're the people who lived before the coming of Christ. They're Old Testament believers. In fact, here in these opening verses, verse, first seven verses, they, these are the antediluvians. These are the people who lived before the flood. And, and, and what you see here in, um, in these um, first few verses are four examples, if you like, of what these people believed. Taken, all, all of it taken from the, the, the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. These are the fundamentals of our faith. If you believe these things that I'm going to talk about right now, you'll be called a fundamentalist. These are the things most surely believed amongst us. These are the things that make us Christians. So what are they? I'm going to, I'm going to first of all, pick them out and show you what they are, and then I'm going to go, come back to those four, let's call them the four pillars of our faith, if you like, and unpack it a bit more and apply it a bit more. So what are these things that we believe as, as, as Christians? First thing is creation. Look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now you can't prove that in a laboratory. You, you can neither prove it or disprove it. You can't prove the existence of God scientifically. Science doesn't do that. But by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. He, he imagined it. What a fantastic place it is, isn't it? Well, you know, just think, of, just think of Tasmania. He imagined it, and then he spoke it into existence. This world was spoken into existence by God's command. It came out of nowhere. It came out of nothing by God's command. That's what the Bible teaches us. That what, that's what we believe as Christians. We are creatures who are answerable to the one who made us. And then atonement, creation. And then the second thing is atonement. Look at verse 4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. See, it's not true what they say in the Pirates of the Caribbean, that dead men tell no tales. <laughs> dead, men do tell, de dead men do tell tales, and this man, Abel, has got a tale to tell us about how to get right with God. And the point here is this, you see, it's not up to us to decide how to get right with God. It's not up to us to, uh, to come to God on our own terms. That's religion. That's what religion does. It's down to him. He reveals the way that we're to get right with him. That's Christianity. That's the gospel, isn't it? That God has come down to us in Christ. And God has given us his son to be a, a sacrifice for our sins so that we can be made right with him. We'll come back to that in a moment. Creation, atonement. And then verse 5, fellowship with God. See that there? By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so he didn't experience death. He could not be found, because God had taken him away. Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So whatever else you've got, if you haven't got faith, you cannot please God. You may be the, uh, a wonderful citizen. You may have uh, citizen of the year. You may have the uh, order of Australia. It doesn't matter whatever else you've got. Uh, if you haven't got faith, you cannot please God. So here's a man who knew God. 
and he was known by God. And, and that's fundamental. You see, faith is, is not simply intellectual assent to certain propositions. It's a personal, intimate relationship with the God who made us, the living God through Jesus. And then the fourth thing is this final judgment. Do you see that there in verse 7? By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. What was not yet seen? Well, the flood was not yet seen. Judgment had not yet happened. But he knew it was going to happen. How did he know it was going to happen? Because God had warned him. And believing what was not yet seen in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now, just put those four truths together for a moment before we kind of unpack them a bit more. Creation, atonement, fellowship with God, final judgment. I want to say to you, my friends, there's nothing more confronting and threatening to men and women today than those four things. The belief that the world has a beginning and that it will have an end. Those truths are always under attack, aren't they? You'll definitely be called a fundamentalist if you believe those, things, those truths. If creation and judgment, they won't let you teach that in the schools. And the very idea, you see, that there's only one way to get right with God, and, it's, and he has the say-so in that, it's down to him, not up to us. Well, you know, that's like a red rag to a bull in today's pluralistic climate, isn't it? Surely there are many ways to God. And to say that you can have a, a relationship with God, that you can actually know God and, and be known by God, as Enoch did, that's so arrogant, so presumptuous, people say, don't they? And yet these are the things that make us Christians. These are the things mo we most surely believe. So let's look at them again, uh, just uh, so I can just apply it a bit more. First of all, creation. I mean, have you ever wondered why there's something instead of nothing? Here I am in this world, and almost everyone seems to believe that this world just happened, or that it sort of came into being from pre-existing matter. But do you see what the passage says? We know, we know that it was framed by the word of God, that God spoke it into existence, and that everything was made out of nothing by a mighty act of power. We understand that. We understand that the information stored in our DNA didn't just evolve from nowhere. It, it, it's the product of a brilliant mind and an awesome imagination. And that belief governs our whole approach to life, doesn't it? We're not a fortuitous concourse of atoms. We're the product of intelligent design. And how do we know that? By faith. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was made by God's word. See, I wasn't there. I know I'm really old, but I wasn't there when the world was made. But God was. Jesus was. And I believe God's word. I, I trust what God says about this. I believe Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And that, that, I, I, I want to say that's not eccentric. I mean, what's the alternative to that? Speculation. 
I, I don't know how many of you know the, that guy Brian Cox. He used to be a, a rock star, I think, and then he became a scientist. He's a brilliant scientist. And uh, I think the BBC are calling him uh, uh, the, the, the new Attenborough. <laughs> and uh, he's written loads of books, and there's some really very interesting uh, TV programs that he's, uh, he's put on. And uh, one of his books is called The Human Universe. It's also a, a TV series. Listen to what he says. He says, we appear to live on a perfect planet in a perfect universe. It feels as if it's been made for us by someone. <laughs> The Earth's orbits are just the right distance around the right star for the temperature on the surface to be just right to permit liquid water to exist. Those temperatures have remained just right for four billion years, just the right amount of time for us to have evolved. What could possibly account for this incredible piece of luck, he says, he asks. It can't be luck, he says. The odds are too long. So you might expect him then to conclude that there must be a God, but no. There must be a multiverse, an infi infinite number of universes. And then he says, with kind of interesting modesty, because this is his theory, he says, this is a quite stunning theoretical model. <laughs> and I understand it sounds like wild speculation. There's no evidence to prove it, but you just have to trust me on that. Well, who are you going to trust, Brian Cox <laughs> or God? <laughs> I mean, he's a brilliant scientist. And he's, he, he's probably a good musician, perhaps. But who are you going to trust? By faith, we understand. We understand. It's nothing to do with our IQ. It's not that we've you know, got PhDs at the universities or anything like that. We understand because God has said, God has revealed to us where this world comes from and how it came into existence. And we believe God's word. It would be nice to have some stunningly brilliant logical argument to prove beyond all shadow of doubt that God exists and that he made the world. But you can't do that. You have to accept it by faith. You can't explain or understand this world apart from the word of God. None of us was there when the world began. Not you or I or Brian Cox, not even David Attenborough, and he's getting on. He's <laughs> nearly 100, I think, isn't he? But he wasn't there when the world was made. So it's by faith that we understand these things. Faith, faith, what I want you to see is this. Faith is not irrational. It's supra-rational. By faith, we understand that this is God's world and he made it. But it's a fallen world, isn't it? And the story of Cain and Abel shows us that. I mean, the first human being born on earth turns out to be a murderer. And his victim is his own brother. And that raises the question, what's gone wrong? Something's gone wrong. What's gone wrong with this world? It, it raises the question of, of sin and atonement. How can human beings with murder in our hearts get right with God? You say, I haven't got murder in my heart. Yes, you have. If you believe what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you call your brother a bad name, <laughs> you may as well have murdered him. And judging by the kind of comments you read sometimes, try not to look at them on Facebook from Christians talking to one another, don't say you haven't got murder in your heart. How can people like us have any, how can God have anything to do with the likes of us? And the answer, of course, is that he does so on his own terms, not on ours. If we want God to accept us and not reject us, then we must listen to his word. We must allow him to tell us 
how we're to approach him. It's up to him, not down to us. You see, that's the difference between these two brothers, isn't it? Cain and Abel. Uh, it, it, it isn't just that Cain was a farmer and Abel was a shepherd. So Cain brought his fruit and veg and Abel brought his, his lamb. Though that is significant, uh, you know, in, in the light of the rest of Scripture, because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. But that's not the point here. The point here is simply this. It's not up to us to decide how we're going to approach God. We have to allow him to tell us. And when we listen to God's word, we find that he has actually made provision. When we read God's word, we find, we, we, we find that God has made provision in the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And that's the difference between Cain and Abel. That's why Abel's sacrifice <clears throat> was a better sacrifice, because he believed God. He simply did what God told him to do. And that's the difference between religion and Christianity, religion and revelation. See, why are there so many different religions in the world? It's, it's simply us making up the rules. That's what religion is. We have this God consciousness as human beings. We have this sense that things are not right between us and God. That's a universal human phenomenon. And so we have to find out how we can put things right. How can we approach him? How do we placate the deity? And so we come up with our religious practices and rituals. And we, you know, do we light a candle? Do we go on a pilgrimage? Do we turn a, a prayer wheel? What do we do? Do we put flags in the back garden? How do we get right with this God? We know that we're not right with him. And so we, we come up with our own rituals and practices. That's religion. Instead of listening to what God says to us, Instead of taking hold of the provision that God has made for us in Christ, we do it ourselves. That's religion. And we hope that somehow religion will put us right with God, but it won't. The only way to get right with God is by faith, by believing his word and doing what he says and bringing the offering that he tells us. Jesus says, I'm the way, the true and the living way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that? Have you acted on that? See, these are the fundamentals of our faith. God exists. He made the world out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. And, and something has gone wrong. Nobody can deny that. You just have to open your eyes, turn on the telly. Something has gone drastically wrong with the human race. And we've lost touch with our creator. And there's only one way back. And that's the way that he himself has revealed right from the very beginning, by the shedding of blood, by the offering of a sacrifice. And then in verses 5 and 6, he tells us about Enoch. There are those who think that this world is the only world that there is. And you just have to make the most of it. Get on as best you can. But on the other hand, there are those, like, like all these people in chapter 11, who we'll get introduced to, for whom life in this world is just a, a kind of an apprenticeship, a training ground for the world to come. And the most important lesson to learn here and now is how to prepare for eternity. You know, it's the old joke about, uh, you know, why is Granny reading your Bible so much these days? She's cramming for her finals. <laughs> <laughs> the most important lesson for us to learn, especially as we, not just as we grow older, because we, you know, none of us is, in, is, is safe from COVID or from death or 
The most important lesson for us to learn is how to prepare for eternity. Enoch learned that lesson when soon after the birth of his first child, Methuselah, we're told, he, he began to walk with God. Until one day God said to him, Enoch, it's hardly worth you going home. You may as well come home with me. Why don't you come back to my place? <laughs> and he just disappeared off the face of the earth and he was never seen again. They sent out search parties to look for him. They put him on the missing persons list. But he was never seen again in this world. Why? Because it says God had taken him. And, and that's going to happen to a whole generation of believers when Jesus returns. They won't see death. They will be translated. They won't have to go through physical death, that last generation on planet Earth. But if we don't live that long, and if we die before that happens, every one of us who believes will go home to be with the Lord. Isn't that so? Isn't that what Jesus told his disciples in John's Gospel? He says, trust me. Trust me, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust me, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again. So that you will be with me where, where I am. Now, I think this is fundamental uh, to our faith. That, that, that you and I can come into an intimate relationship with the God who made us through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And this faith... This faith that saves us and gives us a future and a hope, it's, it's not a momentary thing. It's not something that happens in a Billy Graham, Billy Graham crusade. It's not something that happens in a meeting. It's a lifestyle. Do you see that? It's walking with God day after day, relying on his word. Not just mental assent to certain propositions. It's knowing God and being known by him. And then there's the witness of Noah, verse 7. It's not an easy task to build a boat the size of a football stadium, is it? <laughs> and we're going to get a trailer big enough to get that down to the ocean. <laughs> it took a hundred years, we're told, and all the time that Noah was working on the ark, he was urging people, he was pleading with people around him to trust in the Lord. You can imagine the sort of conversations they had. What are you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? They'd never seen an ark before. And Noah would explain, it's the Lord's provision for you to escape the flood. It's a place for you to be safe from the judgment of God that is inevitably coming on this world. And as year followed year, the laughter would turn to scorn and hatred and anger. So Noah... Maybe at first he was a bit of a curiosity, a bit of an eccentric, but then he became the bad guy who everybody hated. So we're going to be judged, are we, Noah? Who says so? When's it going to happen? It's a long time coming. But when it came, only Noah and his family were saved. Isn't that horrendous? Down came the rain in torrents. Down came the rain in torrents. Down came the rain in torrents. And only eight were saved. We teach that to children in Sunday school. We might as well sing about the Holocaust. It's horrendous. Out of the entire human race, only eight were saved. 
It's devastating. Imagine how hard it must have been for Noah to continue year after year lovingly and faithfully warning people, pleading with them to flee from the wrath to come. What an inspiration he is to us to continue to do the same. You see, we live in a moral universe. And judgment, though it is delayed, is inevitable. It will come. Even now, the wrath of God is being poured out upon this earth. And people, friends, family, relatives, people we love, are storing up for themselves wrath against that day of wrath. Judgment is coming. People hope that God will never judge and, and that things will just continue as they always have. They take the fact that he's not yet broken in on us as proof that he never will. But one day, God, the Lord, will come to judge the living and the dead. And there's only one place where you can be safe on that day, not by getting into a boat, but by trusting in Jesus, who has actually taken the wrath of God upon himself. He is the propitiation for our sins. That's what that word propitiation means. Jesus has taken God's judgment upon himself. himself. So fix your eyes upon Jesus. Keep trusting in him. And keep pointing people to him. So these are the fundamentals of our faith. These are the things most surely believed amongst us. And they all point to Jesus. Did you notice that? Jesus is our creator. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our friend. Jesus is our judge. We could have almost put it into a kind of Jesus creed. Let's do that, shall we? I believe that Jesus created the world by the word of his power. I believe that Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for my sins. I believe that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me and that he'll come again to take me to himself to live with him in his father's house. And I believe that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice through this man whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus. Is that what you believe? Are you ready for that day? Remember what Jesus says to his disciples in the Gospels, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's not a statement, that's a question. There are some pessimistic Christians who uh, take it as a statement as though Jesus is saying, well, you know, Christianity is just going to dwindle away to next to nothing before I come back. But he's not saying that. He's not making a statement here. He's asking a question. He's throwing out a challenge to us. When the Son of Man comes, how will he find you? Will you be believing? Will you be trusting? Will you be looking to him? See, are you living by these truths of creation, atonement, judgment to come? Are you walking with God? Like the people in this chapter, are you living by faith? See, all these people are, are commended by God as righteous because faith was the animating principle of their lives. They saw him who is invisible and they believed his word and they acted upon it. They didn't just believe in God. They believed God. There's a difference, isn't there? Lots of people believe in God. If you believe in God, that doesn't make you a Christian. It makes you a theist. But if you believe God, that's a very different thing. That's radically different. If you believe God, then you will do what he says. You'll act upon his word, won't you? If he's God, and if we've got any sense, 
and your decisions will be governed by his warnings and his promises, and your life will be shaped by the gospel. See, today people seem to think, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're good. But what this chapter is telling us, it doesn't matter how good you are, if you don't believe, you're in trouble. Without faith, it's impossible. I used to be a teacher for a very short time when we were planning our first church. We had to get some sort of income. And I managed to get a half, half of a timetable. And I, 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 I'm sure perhaps you can throw your minds back to your school days. And remember what the teachers always used to say, when you go into an exam, don't panic. Read the paper carefully. Don't start writing the answer before you've read the question. Because what often happens is that people, you know, they, they're so wound up, they, they get in there, they see a word they recognize, and they start writing an answer to a question that's not actually on the paper. Mm -hmm. And you can actually, I've seen it. I've, I've, I was a teacher. I, I've marked exam papers. I've seen perfect answers to questions that were not actually said. <laughs> and, and, and you can do that. You know, you can, you can decide, well, I know what... Uh, you know, what God requires of me. As long as I'm a good person, I try to live a good life, I try my best, I can't do any more than that, can I? But that's not, when the Son of Man comes, that's not what he's looking for. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Because without faith, doesn't matter how good you are, how many degrees you've got after your name, you know, how, how, how much you've contributed to society, uh, what a good church person you've been, whatever else you've got going for you, if you're not trusting in Jesus your creator, your friend, your savior, your judge, then it's impossible for you to please God. Let's pray. Lord, you spoke the word, and the world was formed. It sprang into existence at your command. You said, let there be light, and there was light. Lord, speak once again into the chaos of our lives and shine your light into the darkness of our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen.